This is Starting Somewhere, a podcast from the University of Melbourne, all about internships, finding one, landing it, and making the most of the experience. I'm Buffy Gorilla. I've cried at work on more than one occasion. And now I'm host of this podcast. And I'm Ben Pawson. My reaction to stress, dandruff. And now I'm co-host of this podcast. So we're clearly the best people to help you start somewhere. Let's take a moment and think, how are you traveling through life? How's uni? All your courses going well? Assignments, lectures, that group work? And now let's add in a social life because that's fun and you definitely need to blow off some steam. Of course, you are wise beyond your years, so you are involved in a few clubs or organizations or volunteer somewhere you care about, also because you know it will look good on your LinkedIn profile. You also might have a part-time job because rent and flat whites don't pay for themselves. Now you want to add in an internship? How are you coping with all of this? If I was trying to juggle all of that, I would probably drop it like it's hot or an orange that I cannot keep in the air anymore. There's an Insta story video of that. It's a must see if you like awkward. It's so awkward. But here's what we're going to look at in this episode. The signs you are reaching burnout. What to do when you see them coming and how you can plot your course back to reality. Or better still, avoid it altogether. These feelings of stress are becoming more commonplace, which might be a good podcast series on its own, but it is probably comforting to know you are not alone. And here's some data that backs up Buffy's claim, and I'm a huge fan of data. According to the American Psychology Association, 39% of millennials say their stress increased last year, and 52% report lying awake at night from stress at some point in the last month and 44% report feeling irritability or anger because of their stress. That seems on par with my millennial feelings. Mm -hmm. I absolutely got burnt out in that role within three months of doing it. I just felt tired all the time. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. I just started to be really, really tired, and I started to kind of... My anxiety started to, to grow... I felt definitely by the end, although I had a great experience, I was really burnt out. It actually reached a breaking point where I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. And my friends helped me a lot to get through it. So it seems from our very small sample of four that being tired all the time is a sign of burnout. Are we all burnt out? There is a small window on Friday evening where I feel somewhat sprightly. But these are young people, Ben, not like you, and at the prime of their lives. If they are tired, it's probably because they're stretched too thin. Well, we are here to help. We talked to Lynn Kazali. Her surname is part of a famous AFL song. And later, she'll give us some hacks for managing your work and balancing your life, fun and studies. What are some of those hacks that can help us get back into control? Some hacks for control. Well, one of the things is that control is 
an illusion. <laughs> um, All right, interview over. Yeah. <laughs> it is an illusion. And Neil Wilson, a familiar voice from other episodes, but for the few of you who might not be familiar with him yet, he's a clinical psychologist and counsellor working at Counselling and Psychological Services at the University of Melbourne. Is burnout a common thing that you see across your work? It's a common thing to see in the mirror every morning, actually. It's really common in our work and in our patients, clients and colleagues. Neil and Lynn will offer us some advice on how to juggle it all. But if uni life balance isn't your biggest worry, in Episode 8 of Starting Somewhere, we'll dive into the thorny issues of exploitation and compensation, if that's what's keeping you up at night. But first, let's hear from Sarah Webster, a University of Melbourne student who didn't have the benefit of this podcast and tried to do too much. Well, I've been playing piano all my life. I really loved maths throughout high school, and I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. So I thought that doing the Bachelor of Science would be a safe option because I thought I'd really enjoy maths. And because piano's always been a part of my life, I wanted to continue that. So I decided to do the diploma on the side in addition to the bachelor. And how's that workload? Is it overwhelming? It was pretty overwhelming. A normal full-time load is four subjects for 12.5 credit points subjects a semester. And with the diploma, there's an additional two 6.25 credit point subjects. So it's the equivalent of about five normal subjects. And I did that throughout all of first year and second year. But at the end of second year, I I was just starting to feel a bit burnt out and I decided that that the best thing for me would be to extend my third year over two years and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm in the second half of my third year. And how did that burnout manifest itself for you, Sarah? I just felt tired all the time. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. I felt like... I wasn't really learning stuff. I was kind of just learning how to do the exam instead of really absorbing content. And I felt like I wasn't really making the most of my time at university and sort of just going through the motions instead of really enjoying things. Even professionals experience burnout. So Neil Wilson knows of what he speaks. There's a a story I tend to tell from when I used to work with young people with cancer And I absolutely got burnt out in that role within three months of doing it because I just kept sacrificing and like staying late and blah, blah, blah. And of course you can have my phone number. Of course I'll come in early, blah, blah, blah. But what I noted towards the end of that spell of reaching a more burnt out phase was that the quality of my work was coming down. So if you are actually stopping every now and again, the quality of your work gets better rather than the opposite. But interns often don't have the experience or the objectivity to go, no, I should actually fight and work smart at the moment. What interns typically want to do is work hard. Companies also like people who work smart. (laughs) They love them, actually. So it's about stopping to speed up. I need some time. This tip is just so good. I have a confession. I say yes to everything. And at the moment, I think I've got about five jobs and I've tried Neil's trick of stopping to speed up and it's been a lifesaver. But a day off doing nothing but treat yourself activities can really help. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Grace Chen. I'm studying the Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in Economics and Finance, currently in third year. Remember Grace Chen from episode two, where she talked about securing an internship at EY? Well, to be the best of the best takes an effort, and that took its toll on Grace, and she reached a point where she just couldn't handle it. Especially when exams were going on, but... Generally, at first, I kind of just like kept it to myself. I was just like, I need to continue on. But it actually reached a breaking point where I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. And my friends helped me a lot to get through it. They said I needed to drop. Oh, I also had a lot of club events as well. They said that you need to drop something. You can't do basically everything. You're putting way too much pressure on yourself. And through talking with a lot, even with my managers at the university, it lessened a lot of the pressure and. I managed to deal with it a lot easier. There's that pressure again. We looked at where the pressure comes from in episode one, and Grace confirms what we found: that it often comes from within. It's just like high expectations from everything. I'm someone that, if I'm involved with something, will put absolutely everything I have, and I think I spread myself a bit too thin last year. So, I didn't even have much time for myself, even, and that's very important to balance it all out. But how did Grace's stress manifest itself? I stopped talking to a lot of my friends because I was so focused on getting all my work done. The time that I would usually spend with my friends that kind of disappeared, and it wasn't until a lot of my close friends said, "Hey, I haven't really heard from you in like a month or two that I realized how badly I had gotten. And for Grace, that was a sign that it was time to sit back and reevaluate. My name is Caleb Triscari. I was a University of Melbourne student. I graduated in July last year, and right now I am a producer for ABC Radio National, and I'm also a freelance journalist. I studied a Bachelor of Arts, majoring in media and politics, and I also did a diploma in music on the side. The thing is that in my first three years of my degree, I well, I came from Perth initially, so I came to the University of Melbourne not really having any friends, not knowing kind of the The tips and the tools of the trade, and how to kind of get around campus and things like that. So I had to very much learn that myself. And the way that I did that was by joining clubs and committees, and like really, really getting myself involved in those societies, and especially through Farago and the media department at the union. Caleb's story is so relatable, especially for interstate and international students. Immersing yourself in uni life helps with assimilation and maybe even to ward off some of that homesickness. But can you do too much? I honestly did not find the balance. But I think what it came down to in the end, and I think it really kind of had to, like, I was forced to kind of make a nice balance in 2016 when I became the editor of Farago. For those of you who don't know, Farago is the University of Melbourne student magazine, and it's the oldest in Australia. First published in 1925, which was effectively and essentially like a, a full-time job. Alongside my degree and alongside my other job at the University of Melbourne, yeah, I really did have to find that that line. So, you know, I left the office at a certain time. I went home, started studying for a certain amount of time in the evenings, on the weekends. I just I found it through forcing myself to do it, which probably isn't a really good answer, honestly. But yeah, I I worked under pressure basically, and that's how I really found my my fine line between kind of volunteering and and studying and working. Self-imposed time management is one solution, but did it work for Caleb? I realized what, that I was kind of very much burning out, and it was a lot of it was happening in roughly mid 2017 as well. I can remember the time because I was doing so many things. I just started to be really, really tired, 
and I started to kind of my anxiety started to to grow, especially around like high periods of stress and when the workload was getting like quite significant. So yeah, that's when I realized that I was starting to burn out and I really needed to just like take a step back, maybe in just like a week off or something to kind of just breathe and relax and find a, find my ground again. Breathe and relax. Those are useful activities to remember to do in lots of situations. And check in with your support network. It can do wonders. I reached out to my friends. I just said, like, hey, do you want to just grab a coffee and chat on the weekend and just kind of relax and, and chill out? That's the thing as well. I was also like neglecting like my social circles as well because I was taking on so much work and it was quite exhausting. And a lot of these were volunteer roles as well. My friends were very much my like support network. And you may burn out just hearing about Caleb's extracurriculars. The main time when I was really, really burning out was roughly around July to September of 2017. During that time, I was just finishing off my degree. I was also working at the library, at the university. I had a role in two arts festivals. One of them was Mudfest at the University of Melbourne, the Student Arts Festival. I was doing their marketing. And then I think the fourth one that comes to mind is I was also a creative producer at the National Young Writers Festival as well, which is a position that I have continued on with because I really, really enjoyed it. Those are my kind of main four things. And two of those things, the, the two festivals, they were they like they weren't really paid. They were very much volunteer roles. Those were uh, really the things that kind of added on to the stress and added on to the workload. And eventually I kind of just went, oh my God, what is happening to me? I'm burning out here. Like I'm going home exhausted and I really don't want to get up in the morning. And it was just, yeah, a lot. (laughs) I have survived. Yeah. Another tale of burnout survival, Tess's. Unpaid internships can put a financial strain on an already low-budget lifestyle. This can be a tricky issue. For the first internship, for me it was really quite an exhausting experience because I was working five days a week at the community legal centre and I was also working Saturday and Sundays in my part-time job to earn enough income to make it work. So that was very much a challenge, a financial challenge. However, The caveat being for me, for both of those two internships, I got course credit for those. So although I wasn't being paid, it counted as class time as well. So there was that trade-off which made it much more manageable. But it is a financial reality for a lot of people deciding to intern when a lot of internships are unpaid. And I think that goes back to speaking to the point about, well, what's the organisation you're choosing I recognise that with community legal centres, they really do rely on volunteers to get their work done and serve the community. So I know that what I'm contributing there is something really valuable, even if I'm not being paid as well. There were opportunities, and I would advise future interns, to look for scholarships as well, especially if it's a university-related internship. Do your research. I know of somebody who had quite an inventive approach to a internship that was unpaid. He went out and did an internship and actually pitched an article based on his internship and that article funded his internship. So get a bit creative. If you really want to do something that's unpaid, do your research prior to getting in. Working seven days a week is exhausting, even if you feel you have all the energy in the world. With a creative approach like Tess's friend took, you may be able to carve out a bit of me time. But Tess, Tess didn't. 
Yes, it was exhausting and I wouldn't advise anyone to do the same. I felt definitely by the end, although I had a great experience, I was really burnt out. I think what it takes is a negotiation with your employer if you're working part-time early on and setting your boundaries. I think if I'd worked one day a week as opposed at you know my part-time job as opposed to both Saturday and Sunday, it would have been much more manageable. But I didn't set those boundaries early and my boss knew that I was not available Monday to Friday, so therefore I was rostered on Saturday and Sunday. So I think communicating really clearly as early as you can is a really important thing to do. And it can be tricky, and especially if you're doing shift work, it can be an uncomfortable conversation because you don't want to miss out on your shifts. But you also don't want to be in the position where it's too late to make changes and no one can cover you if you want the day off. It may be depressing to hear, but 80% of internships were still unpaid in 2015. So plan ahead for your internship, like Tess suggests. Those coffees and travel are not free. This will help avoid additional financial worries during your internship, which is something Matthew Blundell cautions us to be aware of. But you can work around. None of my internships were paid. However, that is one consideration as an intern is to make sure that you have the financial backups. Sort of looking one or two months ahead in how you can balance that. You're usually giving up two, three days a week where you are working for free, essentially. However, I saw the benefits of gaining experience and new knowledge over the financial motivations. I was quite poor during these internships. However, I was supplementing that by working in restaurants at night time. And another aspect that I guess everyone should take into consideration is also looking after your mental health while you're in an internship. Those pressures of finances, trying to compete with yourself to keep up, working too hard. It's important to sometimes take a step back and ask for a day off if you need it. Although turning up to an internship implicitly means that you are ready and able to work, the schedule of a student does mean that employers need to be flexible. But do they understand what their student interns are going through? What we found is, is that the guys who really respond to what we're looking for as a business and about providing that you know, excellent customer service and wanting to change the way that Australians invest, that they're the ones that generally are pretty good about balancing their university studies with their state work, with their life outside of both. We want to make sure that they've got a good level of balance and they're not overcommitting themselves in any one area, but they're generally pretty strong at balancing it. And, and, you know, we do make a point that, you know, when it comes to exams and stuff, that we give sufficient time off and we know that ultimately they've got to go and get their studies and that's super important. That's Dan Silver, who is the Chief Operating Officer for Stake, a startup that uses a lot of student interns in their customer onboarding but they involve them in improving their real customer systems and they pay them. No matter how supportive the company or how much you look on the bright side, sometimes you just want to have a good old whinge. But don't feel bad about a bit of moaning about all this learning and figuring out life stress. Little complaints creep in and it's normal. There's even research from the University of Melbourne that backs it up. 
No, seriously, it's true. It says that a low-level gripe among colleagues can serve as a bonding function and also an energizing one by helping staff and teams move through their negative feelings. Unless it becomes a three-day vitriolic rant, then you've probably got real issues. But what else can we do to help us get through our negative feelings? My name's Lynn Kazali, and you could probably refer to me as a speaker, author, and facilitator. What are some of those hacks that can help us get back into control? Some hacks for control. Well, one of the things is that control is an illusion. <laughs> um, All right, interview over. Yeah. <laughs> it is an illusion. And I think one of the ways we try and control control or get more control is by things like perfectionism or procrastination or tinkering with things that don't really matter. I was just talking to a leadership team this morning in a webinar and I called out the fact that many of them spend a lot of time and I call it tinkering. And this is what we can tend to do is tinker around the edges, making little changes to things that actually don't make a big difference. So we've kind of got to work on the bigger things, work on the bigger things that are going to make a bigger difference. And that's one of the first hacks is I look at myself and go, am I tinkering or am I transforming? And so I really want to go for something that's got a bigger return, a bigger leverage. So I need to do a bigger action taking massive action. And that's the complete opposite to tinkering, mm. doing little things. So, so what would be a massive action a young person who is trying to balance it all could take? How yeah. would you attack that? Well, I attack it. I take great advice from a colleague of mine, Dermot Crowley. He's written a couple of books. One's called Smart Work, and his new book coming out soon is called Smart Teams. His first book was about categorizing and prioritizing what it is you need to do in your life. And I follow his advice that it has to get into the diary because if it's not in your diary or schedule or organiser, it doesn't get done. It remains on a to-do list. So I love scheduling in, not out of fun, but out of necessity. This is a hack, is scheduling in stuff like the time that I had to leave home to come to this conversation today. So that was in my diary, leave now. And did you leave at that time? I left six minutes later, but it gave me an hour to get here. And I had 15, 20 minutes up my sleeve. So I proofread a white paper I've got in my bag and I got a banana and I took some photos around campus. And I'm having this really lovely time and getting some work done, not rushing. And I think that's part of this diarising and scheduling in. So when you've got the internship time, great, get those dates into the diary. Family time, like always prioritise, put in everybody's birthdays and whenever anybody's going on holidays or when they're coming back or if they need to be picked up at the airport, your work, make sure that sort of stuff is blocked in and some buffer time around that. That's absolutely a, not just a hack. I think it's a way of a way of living, a way of working, a way of being. And are there any other Lynn Kazali hacks that you live by that you think if more people did this, <laughs> oh. the world would be a smoother running place? Yeah, I love to use Rev.com, so that transcription service, and their a new app they've brought out recently, Otter, which does live, in-the-moment transcription. Thanks, Lynn. We could certainly use that. 
Here's a flurry of other tools people we found are actually using to help them juggle it all. Links in the show notes, as usual. When I'm feeling particularly stressed and I've got a million things on, I sometimes use this app called Wonderlist, which is essentially a fancy to-do list, which you can put in kind of calendar alerts and it will remind you when you have certain things to do and you can put it in categories and it allows you to tick things off your list as well, which is for me the most satisfying thing I can do when I'm feeling super stressed. Um, I don't really use very many apps, particularly not exactly for work. The only app that I currently use is an app called Clue, which is a period tracking app. Hi, I'm a theatre and event producer. Um, I use a lot of different apps to keep on top of all of the bits and pieces that I'm organising. Things like LastPass to keep a track of the many, many logins and passwords that you need for all the different accounts. Cam scanner to try and get rid of bits of paper in my life and, and turn them into PDFs easily. And also Google Keep for all sorts of lists and notes and snippets of thoughts. Yeah. I used Duolingo for a while, um, trying to brush up my language skills. And if you're not going to be motivated enough to learn languages without the app, then, then having an app is not really that much more useful. It's just another way of not learning a language, um, which you would do anyway, I think. I use the calendars on my phone religiously. I have Outlook for work and Google Calendar for home. And if I don't put it in my phone, it just doesn't happen. And I also use uh, a period tracker app and I love that. I think I overuse the calendar. I'm putting like every little thing in my calendar to make sure I don't forget. So my whole day is pretty much planned out. I use OneNote for everything. So my minutes and meetings, my shopping lists, stuff I'm going to do on the weekend. And the best part is that I can use it on any of my devices. So I can access it from my phone or from my tablet. And then if I log back onto my computer, it's on there as well. It's awesome. If you are beyond the help of an app, here's more advice from Neil Wilson. I asked him if burnout is something he comes across regularly. It's a common thing to see in the mirror every morning, actually. It's really common in our work and in our patients, clients and colleagues. And again, that's when upskilling other people is incredibly important to noticing when you're just ranting. The term for when a relationship is going bad is called if it's vitriolic probably something needs to be done here. So letting people know, look, if I just keep whinging about my internship, if I keep ranting about how difficult it is, can you just pull me up on it and let me know, like for the last three days, you've just been ranting. If it stems for more than a week, you need to sit down and have a good think, not about leaving the internship, but about how's my mental health, how's my physical health, is something else wrong? Because I think interns should be allowed to, to rant about their internship sometimes because it's difficult and, it, and you're not getting paid. That's a form of slavery in a way. So yeah, I think, I think slaves are allowed to rant. But if we're doing it for more than a week, we're starting to get into some vitriolic territory. So we need to stop and reassess. What was my initial motivation? What would I say to someone I love who was ranting this much about this. Stopping to reevaluate, often with the help of other people, because they have a more objective viewpoint. If you've got the opportunity to interact with people who have worked in that particular environment previously, that's a really important step, I mean, if it's possible. There's usually an outgoing intern, or an intern's been there for another couple of weeks. 
that you can touch base with. Say, is this normal? Is this how it works around here? Stopping to reevaluate if you're really ranting and becoming vitriolic because that's a sign that something else is wrong. If you get to the point where you're like, no, I have been ranting, it is vitriolic, I feel like I'm approaching the end of my tether, what do you do then? Really simple but frustratingly obvious response that I'm going to give is slow down. You have to slow down because most interns have what's called unrelenting standards. Their standards just keep increasing because they try to impress people, trying to get better at this, but often their standards exceed their functional capacity, so they get to 100 and they go, all right, let's get to 120. Often when we're becoming a bit burnt out, it's because we're trying to function at an increasingly higher level, but we keep getting it wrong. So our actual mood and physical health starts to drop. There is a saying called stop to speed up, and it's 100% accurate with burnout. If there's an opportunity to take a day off, do that. And then often interns will say, look, I want to show people that I'm dedicated. My response is, you also don't want to show them that you don't understand your body and how your brain works, right? Slowing down is what Sarah Webster did, extending the third year of her studies, and it seemed like it helped her manage. And your outlook seems quite positive considering you have had some setbacks. How Mm. have you maintained your enthusiasm for keeping going? The internship that I did has helped with my enthusiasm because before that I was feeling quite down about it. I was very low self-esteem about the whole thing and I just, yeah, I was a bit stuck. So the internship really helped and I was really, really lucky to have that experience. If I didn't have that experience, I'm not sure what I would have done and how I would have kept that motivation going. Taking the time to find an internship that, as well as giving her room to breathe, has given Sarah some very valuable skills. So what was it that gave her all this enthusiasm? My job involved a lot of cold calling, or not not exactly cold calling. They called it lukewarm calling. Um, I <laughs> That's was, a very nice way to look at it. Yeah. Um, it was with companies that had previously hosted students in um, for the internship subject. Um, I had to chat with them over the phone. And it, at first, it, it was a really daunting experience. Um, but I overcame that hurdle and it gave me, it gave me a lot of confidence in talking to people. And I sort of feel like now if, if I did find someone that I was interested in talking to, I would have the confidence to just call them up or not. I I might, might not have their direct number, but just call the company and ask, can I speak to so-and-so? As we heard in episode two of Starting Somewhere, if you find a company you want to intern for and there's no structured internship listed anywhere, just calling them up and asking if you can be the first is a great way of blazing a trail. Here's Lynn Kazali again with some tips on getting your priorities straight. A mentor and advisor of mine talks about fighting for three, fighting for three things a day. And so I use a visual management tool, Kanban, K-A-N-B-A-N, which is a lean manufacturing tool. I've got a flip chart on my cupboard doors in my office with three columns to do, doing, and done are the three columns in that. So to do is like all of the things that I want to do. It's my backlog of all of the stuff. Then the middle column, so we've got to do, then doing, is to limit what 
things I'm working on, limit that to three. So I'm fighting just to get three things done a day. That's called your work in progress or work in process. So I try and just have three things that I'm working on at any one time. And then once I've finished a task, and I usually write them on a post-it note, I can pull that across into that final column, done. And it's so exciting (laughs) to give yourself a, and I do, give myself a, a high five. Actually, I give myself two claps in the kitchen at Rockpool where Neil Perry, the chef, when you see him in the kitchen and he's trying to get the energy going in the team, he'll do two claps like that. He won't say, yay team, come on, let's get pumped up. He's quiet. It's all very cool and classy in there. And just two claps. The team knows it's either a bit of a celebration or come on, let's go. So when I move that Kanban board post-it note from to do and I'm working on it in doing and then when it finally gets into done, woohoo. If you can find a good opportunity and you can manage to juggle it all, internships can be hugely beneficial. Here's Mary Trumbull, a client services manager at LinkedIn Australia. For me, I actually just love the routine. So being able to catch a train into the city, and that was really exciting. Having that purpose during the week to sort of balance the studies and then seeing my studies actually come into life. So I think at the time I was learning consumer marketing and I was working on a marketing campaign for yogurt, which was very exciting. And so just being able to see that in play and and come together was great. If this episode has raised any issues that you need help with, we urge you to reach out, get in touch with someone on campus or in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. There is help out there. And in the next episode of Starting Somewhere, we look at the companies who are doing internships right. And if you're enjoying Starting Somewhere, think about leaving us a review on iTunes. It will help other people who are starting somewhere. Starting Somewhere is brought to you by the University of Melbourne External Relations Team. The producers and editors are Buffy Gorilla and Ben Pawson. Our supervising producer and original concept is from Dr. Andy Horvath. Additional production in this episode by Sylvie Van Wall. Thanks to everyone who has made Starting Somewhere a reality. Stay tuned for future episodes. 